Well, today we're going to talk about some brothers, two brothers in particular. I'm not sure what you think of when you think of brothers. <laughs> this one? Or perhaps the Marx brothers. <laughs> I love the Marx brothers. I thought there were three of them. How <laughs> tricks age plays on you. How about um, George Orwell's terrifying big brother? Uh. Well, I'd like to focus on the story of two brothers told in Genesis today, in chapter 4. Now, those first five chapters of Genesis tell us so many things. They tell us who God is and how different and how more powerful he is than the deities that were honored at that time. They tell how God created all things and that God loved his creation and said it was very good. God made objects that were worshipped. God made objects that other people worshipped as gods at that time, such as the sun and the moon. The first few chapters of Genesis tell us how special mankind is. Not just a random accident of gods messing about, which is how some of the ancient myths were, but created by God with a special mission in this world, yes. And to have fellowship with God, yes. And they tell us why things seem so messed up in our world today. That there was a fall, a conscious disobedience that led to, in some form, death. And they show us what that death looks like in reality and how mankind can't get back to God on his own but that God had his own plans right from the beginning for redemption, right from day one. That's quite a lot to cover. In five or six pages, the beginning of the Bible. It's so important, those first few chapters. Don't let anyone take them away from you. Well, I was drawn to the story of Cain today because it illustrates so strongly what the judgment of death on Adam and Eve looks like in actuality. Now, I read with fascination the story about the serpent and Adam and Eve in the garden and the temptation. I love that story. It's so well told. But the symbols are so stark. I can't get my head around it completely emotionally. It's out of my experience. Forbidden fruit. I'm not that keen on fruit. Fig leaves. Death sentence, but they don't die. Do they die? Don't they die? Then I read about Cain. And I get it. Yes. The punishment of death meant that violence, violence now seems like a sensible response to aggravation. Violence characterizes a lot of what we read about even today. What seem all too natural responses. I haven't listened to many sermons about Cain and Abel. Dick said he'd preached one sometime. My first encounter with Cain and Abel was in elementary school. Who killed Cain? Was the joke. And you were supposed to say, Abel. And then they laughed. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't know those stories anyway. And if I did know the story, I would have fallen for the joke, I know. And later, I remember a soapbox evangelist who spoke often at Love. London's beloved Hyde Park Corner. Have you heard of Hyde Park Corner? It's a place where you can say anything you want. You can get on a soapbox. You can 
preach against the monarchy. You can preach revolution. Come on, let's go to the House of the Parliaments and plant a bomb. You can just say what you want. Just don't have the bomb with you. <laughs> and so there was a well-known evangelist who would get in the soapbox and preach the gospel. And he would get heckled because heckling is part of it. Well, what about Cain's wife? Hmm? But he wouldn't let himself get sidetracked. You look out for your own wife, he'd say. <laughs> and then he'd carry off preaching. Well, I'm interested in the topic of where Cain got his wife from, but this isn't the best place to explore that topic. I'm content today to take this ancient story as it comes to us, just as it comes to us, and explore what God is telling us or might be telling us through this story. So we read in verse 1 that Eve became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. Cain was the eldest son, the elder brother. Eve says, with the help of the Lord, I brought forth a man. I did it. Yes. And there is that. It's okay. When we achieve something, Lord, thank you. But I noticed later on when she had Seth, she says, God has granted me another child. God has granted me. So right there is a little bit of, I did it, which we've got to be careful of. We've got to be careful of. Later, she has Abel. Uh, later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. That's it. The younger brothers, the younger siblings, not quite so much excitement. You know? Not quite so much. Another time, I'll tell you all about primogenitor and how I could have been the Lord of them. Never mind. <laughs> And then in verse 3, both brothers bring an offering to the Lord. I like that. The fall doesn't mean we don't worship God. Both brothers brought something to the Lord. What did Cain bring? Some of the fruits of the soil. What did Abel bring? Fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. And then we read those words that really begin this story, don't they? The Lord looked with favor on Abel's offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. Why did the Lord favor one and not the other? I've heard it said that the reason the Lord favored Abel's offering was because of the sacrifice of life that was involved, looking ahead to the Lamb of God who by his own death would take away the sins of the world. Certainly, the Bible does say, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. But it's, and certainly it's interesting, as my wife read so well, that the story gives Cain's offering and then says, but Abel. Maybe there's some truth in that. But on the other hand, in the Mosaic law, first fruits of the harvest were very welcome and indeed commanded. We were supposed to bring the first fruits of the harvest. Maybe the but contrasts some of the fruit, a casual offering, with a deliberate, costly one. The firstborn was sacrificed, the first lamb, the first goat, whatever it was. Or maybe it was a matter of the heart. Maybe God could see and was really responding to the heart. New Testament focuses on Cain hating and Abel as righteous, 
not particularly what they offered. For instance, Hebrews insists that by faith Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. And by faith he still speaks, though he's dead. Our Lord Jesus speaks of Abel as the first righteous person killed when he says you will be held responsible to the Pharisees, for the, well, to the church leaders, for the blood of all the prophets that's been shed since the beginning of the world, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, by tradition that was the last murdered prophet. Or was God capricious? I've heard that. This is the conclusion of some commentators. You can't say that. After all, a parent can seem capricious to a very young child when it's certainly not capricious. You have your very good reasons for what you're saying. And the child thinks it's capricious. No, I don't want to go there. But either way, anyway, they both appear at some point with an offering to the Lord, Cain and Abel. And for whatever reason, the Lord looked with favor on Abel's offering and did not look with favor on Cain. These two brothers did not go home from church the same as they came. Cain was upset. Of course Cain was upset. You and I both understand why. You both behaved well. Nearly all that time in the long car journey, and it's your sibling that gets singled out for praise and not you. You hand in your homework, and you really did try hard. You didn't copy too much of it from someone else. And the teacher seems most unimpressed, but commends someone else. You work hard on a project alongside someone else, and your boss seems to honor her more than you. You work hard serving the Lord with your gifts, and it always seems to be someone else who's doing something that's more valuable, more in line with the priorities. We know what it feels like, mostly now through the grace of God, or through having a more placid temperament, we know how to say, it's okay, it's okay. That initial feeling of hurt, of unfairness, we can deal with, right? Mostly. But Cain was angry. And God says, why are you angry? Now, I don't know if you've noticed these green things that appear from time to time in the bulletin. These are some extra notes on the sermon from Debbie. And they're well worth reading. And Debbie picks up on this question of, why are you angry? really good. Take a look at it. It's so ironic, isn't it, that the first friction, the first family friction was over a religious offering. How often is religion what divides us? The headlines today, Sunnis massacring Shiites, Shiites ready to massacre Sunnis. And we have our own problems, don't we, in Christendom. May the Lord grant us mercy. That's so ironic, so sad, don't you think? Wow. Well, sometimes anger is there, and it's not going away. It's brooding. And God sees this. He saw Cain was upset. And God, like a wise parent, warns Cain about what's going on in his heart. It's interesting. It's such a minimal storyline. These stories stay with you because they're short. I, I wish I knew how to preach that short. <laughs> they stay with you. And yet suddenly we get a whole long verse of what God is saying. You know, 
And it's a bit enigmatic. It's a key verse in the story, verse 6. Derek Kidner writes, you know, in chapter 3, it's Satan trying to persuade, persuade, persuade Eve and Adam to sin. But in chapter 4, it's God. It's God trying to persuade, persuade, persuade. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't let this get on top of you. Wonderful. Now, in translation, I thought verse 6 sounded a bit odd. But I get the drift. Number one, of course you two can be accepted. Of course. That's number one. Number two, watch out. Sin is right there underneath your anger, watching to overcome you. So there's both an encouragement and a warning. That's how God so often approaches us. Warning, but encouragement. Just as you were able to encourage, probably less warning for your person on the deathbed, but you were warning, you were encouraging that wonderful person. Could have been a Kairos moment for Cain. Could have been a Kairos moment. It reminds me of James, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And the corollary, come near to God and he will come near to you. Or Peter's image, the devil prowling around looking for someone he can devour. Crouching, prowling, such ominous pictures. Peter says we can resist all that. Because we can cast all our anxieties on God. Because God cares for us. And because he cares for brothers and sisters all over the world who are suffering. In spite of that death sentence on Adam. God still calls Cain and us to resist evil. Doesn't say how Cain responded or whether Cain responded. It does say that Cain said to his brother. Let's go out to the field just like you said. And that, while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother and killed him. That looks, sounds a bit premeditated, wouldn't you say? An unjustified murder. A murder. A murder. Early on. And it might be, who knows what Cain said, uh, Abel said to Cain. Who knows? Maybe he smirked. Maybe he looked in some way that annoyed Cain. Maybe disdained him. Doesn't matter afterwards, does it? It's murder. No one's asking, well, of course, what did that person do to deserve to be killed? It's not like that, is it? It's because of our sin inside of us. Well, the Lord seems to have got there before the family heard of anything. And his question is, where is your brother? Where is your brother? That remind you of anything? Reminds me of, where are you? Where are you to Adam and Eve? Hiding from God. I don't think Cain was hiding from God. Where is your brother? The Lord can be very direct. He knows what happened. But he asks, where is your brother? And that's how God confronted the sin in Cain. He could have whirled upon him. He could have said, you killed your brother. He could have even interceded ahead of time. And physically, I suppose, he could have stopped the murder from happening. But that's not what happens now, is it? God doesn't stop dreadful things happening. That's what the death from the curse upon Adam and Eve really means. 
of our own volition. We bring upon ourselves the death that was the result of sin coming in the world. It was fulfilled in Cain and it's fulfilled in us. God was at Cain's side warning and challenging. But I didn't, he didn't stop Cain murdering Abel. Even though he loved Cain and liked his offering. That's what a fallen world means. And that's what you and I live in, isn't it? Now, when Adam was asked, where are you? He says, here I am. But when Cain is asked, where is your brother? He has one of the most famous lines in scripture. What does he say? You tell me. You got it. <laughs> you expect me to keep track of him all the time? We're both grown up now. I haven't seen him since we were at church together on Sunday morning. It seems unbelievable, but that's his story. Have you met? I think we've all met someone at some point who was in that kind of denial, whose world is so different that they can lie like that and not realizing they're like, they just don't know. No. I remember when I was much younger in a particularly noisy classroom session with a history teacher who was, I'm sure, very good, but didn't get a chance to be good with us a lot. I talked or yelled something at the back of the class. And the angry teacher stormed to the back of the class and said, Caulfield, you were shouting. I didn't shout, sir. <laughs> Caulfield, he said, and I've never forgotten this, you are a liar. I'm not a liar, sir. Brazen, just as brazen as Cain. Now, social mores, learning from situations, and hopefully the gospel message in my heart of tamped down on such brazenness. But like Cain, we're nearly all capable of it. Oh, the Bible goes on to tell more of the story of Cain's arguing with God about his punishment and of what happened to Cain and his descendants. The Bible goes on to talk about God putting a mark on Cain. And again, the encouragement and the warning, it was to announce the awful crime, but it was also to protect him. God wasn't finished with Cain. And then we learn about the establishment of communities and of his descendants developing artistic and technological skills. Now, in the old days, apparently, the old myths had gods inventing music, had different kinds of gods inventing technology. The Bible has mankind inventing those. Yeah. And we got culture coming. I see in the culture developing from Cain's line, a culture that looks all too familiar. A culture that involves and values, just as my culture involves and values, struggle, violence, faithlessness, self-sufficiency, breaking of norms. It's okay to murder to stand up for yourself. It's okay to marry two wives when one's quite, oh, excuse me, quite, <laughs> enough. quite enough. We see a society developing, and that's all traced back to the fall. That's what it is. That's why we need God to intervene. Don't. Now, there are other brother stories in Genesis, and the theme is picked up in the New Testament also. And we may want to explore some of those in the discussion group. I hope you're all going to go to the VBS meeting upstairs. <laughs> but if perchance you're free and want to come to the discussion group, there will be an adult discussion group this morning.
how can we apply this story? We can do what we think is a good deed for someone or for the Lord. And it's not appreciated by that someone for whatever reason. Or maybe we sense the Lord doesn't really care about what we're doing for him. Oops. Well, it can happen. I don't think Jesus was very impressed with the real spiritual exertions of the Pharisees. And in our minds, when that happens, we're rejected, we stomp away. We think to ourselves, well, I'm never going to try that one again. For the Lord's words now may be the same gently warning words from this ancient story. Watch out, sin is crouching at your door. Maybe a rejection can be what the CBC leaders these days are calling a Kairos moment, right? We're walking along. <clears throat> this is meant to be our lives. And there's an arrow there. Notice there's an arrow. That's because there is a times arrow. We are going one way. We're not going to get young again. In my fantasies, of course I get young again. I still win tennis tournaments in my fantasies. <laughs> it's not going to happen. I read about the physics equations. Nearly all the physics equations are the same whether time goes forward or backward. Huh? Newton's equations, forget it. They don't care about which way time goes. But in biology, there's one way. And there's a reason for that. Because now is the day... Now is the time. And it may be the Lord speaks to us. I think a charis moment can occur. Maybe the Lord is speaking to us through a disappointment or a setback or something like that. Now we can ignore it and just carry on our merry way. But suppose we don't ignore it. Then what? And you remember there's a change of direction momentarily. The arrow points around a circle instead. We need to change direction. We need to reflect, to stop and think about the issue for more than two seconds. And we may need to act. Of course, in the teaching, there's a lot of other steps, but we don't have time to discuss those here. Now, that carous circle <coughs> can be... You need to click again. It can be very quick, or it can take a long, multi-layered, complex working out. Did Cain listen to God? No. I don't think so. In any case, Cain's swift progression downward into hate and murder, that's a warning to you and me. And we get the same loving remonstration from God, a warning and an encouragement that Cain got. We get that when we have a setback, when we have a disappointment. A rejection. So let's remember that. Well, I'm looking at the command, number two, to be in the world but not of the world in a new light because of Cain. However real, however appealing in its own way, this world is not what God's plan is about. Jesus' value systems are totally different. We have to live in the world as if, it were, as if we were visitors somehow. And this is a great theme. We can't explore it right now. But it comes up a lot in CBC's teachings, doesn't it? That Jesus' world is very different from the world around us. And lastly, I'm looking at Jesus' command to his disciples to love each other, 
in a new light after studying Cain. <clears throat> this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another, says John in our New Testament reading. And Jesus said to his disciples at the Last Supper, they were to love each other as I have loved you. He also said, the people who saw that love in action would know that those living it were Jesus' disciples. Now, I don't think Jesus is talking about warm, mushy feelings. Well, it's easy to have warm feelings on a nice, sun, sunny Sunday morning and 20 minutes we can have coffee and a good jabber together. But I've, I've been to too many church services where warm and mushy is it. That's it. But the love that Jesus is using, the word is agape, as you know, and that's the word we often get in the New Testament. That word speaks more of sacrifice, unconditional, <coughs> sacrificial love, just as Jesus' love for us was sacrificial. <laughs> Jesus says, you've got to love one another. To his disciples, they're still fighting each other who's going to be the big shot when he goes. <laughs> but Jesus says it to us. I don't know if we're fighting about who should be the big shot. We know who the big shot is. It, no, we're not. <laughs> we're not fighting that way. But we're just as bad as they are. Jesus illustrates it by washing their feet. That is not the rabbi's job, but he washes their feet. And he shows it best when Jesus gave his life as a ransom for many. I love all these different meanings of love that I read about. We have one word the Greeks had lots, at least three or four. I love family love. I love brotherly love, just good friendships, common interests. I love erotic love. But I'm glad that it was with agape love that God so loved the world. Jesus was asked more than once, what's the greatest commandment of all? And at least once they were expecting him to come out with, you won't murder. And then they'll say, but what about this? Or what about this? It was a trap. But he responded, your greatest commandment is to what? Love the Lord your God. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. Amen. And love your neighbor as yourself. Both of them, as I looked it up. You can do that with Google. <laughs> oh, she would have done it much faster than me. But eventually, after a lot of whirring and clicking, I can, I don't know Greek, but I know the alphabet, and I can see agape. Yes, I can tell. I can tell it was agape. As a Christian, so, Cain and Abel, the story adds new light to what it means to love one another for me. I hope it does for you. And as a Christian, as a believer in Jesus Christ, I'm always challenged by these stories because I'm aware of being part of a creation that's full. I've got one foot still in that world, a big foot in that world. Yet through Jesus, I believe that I'm part of a new kingdom. And that's what God meant his creation to be. Christians know this tension, don't you, between being and becoming. Tension between sin and hope. Every day we come as a child to its parent, confessing wrong, asking forgiveness and restoration for that tension. But what about you? Are you around these Christians a lot? Close to them, mostly. But no, not really one of those people. 
You know who you are. I don't. I don't have anyone in mind. But I remember when I was enjoying my newfound friends as a teenager, when I started going to church, loved the youth group. But I knew I wasn't a Christian. I had so many questions to answer before I became a believer. And one day I was challenged to put my faith in Jesus and to shelve, for the moment, some of my questions. Can we have a slide? The blood of Abel still cries out against human wickedness, but the blood of Jesus is even more powerful in its cry to you to come, be a part of his renewed world, of his transforming culture. Put your faith in Jesus. Turn a little bit. Please talk to one of us if you feel so inclined. There'll be people in the lounge after the service ready to pray with anyone who needs prayer. Don't put it off. They're postponing their coffee so that you can go and pray with them. His call is to all of us, including you. Please seize the day. Don't lose the chance to turn. Don't him. Ignore God's prompting. And remember that arrow. This day will not come again. Biology works just one way. As I close in prayer, let me pray for us.